It was many years ago that uh, I was wrestling with how to best present and um, I want to say defend, but that sounds like it's a battle and it's really not a battle, but to win brothers and sisters over and non-Christians over to the way we friends view the Christian life, our faith and our practice. And as many of you know, some of the things that we friends do, such as not using bread and wine in a communion service, to focus on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, for many of our brothers and sisters is a very challenging, threatening kind of way of living the Christian life. And uh, in my pursuit as trying to help myself and help others to pass our perspective and explain it clear, clear to others, I stumbled upon these, these statements about Jesus Christ. Jesus is unique. Jesus is absolutely essential. Jesus is all-sufficient. Jesus is alive and present. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is love. Jesus is the living word. And actually, I stopped there. I just came up with seven. And I thought, gee, that must be it, seven. I mean, that's the Bible number, right? You don't dare go past and look for an eighth one, because if you go to eight, then where do you stop? Twelve? Okay. So, you know, I was content for several years with just these seven. And I think it was actually you, Eric, that somewhere in a discussion that we were having a couple years down the road, it came up, well, what about Jesus is the Christ? And, um, and I think Rich was involved in that, too. And I, I thought about that and prayed about that and said, wow, that's just as important as the other seven. So like the number system or not, there's an eighth one. Jesus is the Christ. And that's the um, character trait of Jesus that I get to speak about this morning. Jesus is the Christ. And it's printed, our statement is printed in the front of your bulletin here. If you haven't already looked at it, it's a pretty simple statement. It kind of summarizes really all of the other six, when, when, and I'm going to explain that a little here this morning. Jesus is the Christ. He is the special one. Christ is not a, an English word. It's actually a Greek word. It's Christos um, in the Greek, and, and it is actually a Hebrew word, Messiah. The Hebrew word Messiah and the Greek word Christo mean the anointed one. Well, see, that doesn't work for us in North American English, does it? Oh, Marcy, you're the anointed one. We'd all go, huh, what? I don't know what that means. It generates no feeling. It doesn't give us any clues to really what's going on, the anointed one. We just don't use that terminology. So he is the, the what? The special one. That might be better, but even that special in what ways, and so we have to explain that more. He is the special one. He is the Savior foretold by God in the Old Testament. You know, there are 300 prophecies about Jesus and his first coming in the Old Testament. Over 300. We're going to look at them all today. Now, brace yourself, there are 600 prophecies about Jesus and his second coming in the Old and New Testaments. I mean, he is the star of this book. He is the focus of this book. He is, he is got the leading role, and we're all supporting cast, as we've sometimes talked before. 
He is revealed in the New Testament. You know, there are over 550 times the word Christ appears in the 27 books of the New Testament. 550 times. Wow. That's a lot. And he embodies all of the fullness and power and promises of God. He is the star. He is the special one. Or, using the Hebrew language, and we need to talk a little bit about why they've looked at this person this way, he is the anointed one. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And there are a few verses there that I, I want to read, and, and Vinny's not going to put them up here, because we're going to look at a lot of scripture today and sometimes longer passages, and it might be easier if, if I just read them. And I've even printed them out so I can save time and not find the pages. But before I read them, I want to try and give you a little bit of a feeling of how the Jewish people thought about this anointed one. Now, Jewish people today are still waiting for the anointed one. They don't believe Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph and Mary, well, really the son of Mary, is the anointed one prophesied in the Old Testament. So they're still waiting for this anointed one to show up because he is such a focus in the Old Testament. And again, I don't think we in North America have a feel for what's going on. By the way, are any of you here, do you have any Jewish blood in you? Anyone here have Jewish blood? So we're all pagans. Oh, one, two. Oh, Eric has a little. How much? Do you know? Grandfather. Your grandfather. Maria? Father. Your father. Okay. So you guys have a little special place for this, and you might have the feel for what we're talking about here. But the rest of us are pagans. We're Gentiles. We're... We're excluded. We're going to talk about this in a minute. Um, and that's part of the reason why I don't think we Gentiles, when we come to both the Old and the New Testament, really get a feel, an emotional feel, experience for what the Jewish people that we read about, to whom the prophets spoke, to whom um, one of the Gospels, in particular Matthew, was written to the Jewish people, or or to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. The book of Hebrews isn't written to Gentiles. It's written to, it's right on the title. It's written to the Hebrews. And I'm not a Hebrew. I'm reading somebody else's mail. And I need to understand who these Hebrews are and why it would be important to them what the Messiah has to do with their lives. These were people who, through most of their history, were oppressed and downtrodden and enslaved all the way back, you know, one of the most powerful times we remember is when the people of Israel were in Egypt for 400 years. And not for all of that time, but as time went on, they became very enslaved and oppressed and even their children were murdered. And people without strength, people without hope, people who always were looking for maybe sometime it will get better, and God, from all the way back in the beginning of Genesis, after Adam and Eve first sinned and said that there shall come out of the woman a seed who will somehow deliver uh, or crush Satan's head, and Satan will fight against this seed of the woman, all the way from that first prophecy of the Messiah through Abraham and through David and his descendants and through the prophets, there's this referring to someday, and here's the word, a hero is going to show up. A superhero is going to show up. Now, I know we have a superhero comic book fan over here. You knew that was coming, right? <laughs> and we all pick our favorite superheroes, Spider-Man. Um, but when you read the stories of these superheroes, it, it's almost, they, they just kind of, 
they show up, but nobody anticipates them. There's no prophecies about the coming of Superman or Batman or Spider-Man. There aren't any prophecies about any. They, they just either have greatness thrust upon them or they have certain qualities that, oh, here's a need and I can meet it and no one else can. And then they put on their leotard and costume and now they're a superhero. But the superhero of the Messiah is one that's foretold, prophesied. He was expected by the Jewish people. And at the end of the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, there's 400 years of where God is relatively silent. He's not speaking through any recorded prophets. And then Jesus shows up. And, and, and the Jewish people are under Roman control. And they are oppressed and enslaved and pay high taxes. They don't have control over their nation. They don't have control over their territory. They are, have been invaded. And and they are hungry. They are desperate. They are, when is he going to show up? And everybody was talking about, when is the Christ going to show up? And where will he show up? And what will he do when he get here? And, and there were debates and Bible studies and discussions and speakers. And, and when John the Baptist showed up on the scene, the big question was, the Pharisees sent messages and said, are you the Christ? And he said, no, I'm not. I've been sent before him. Well, that was kind of good news, but they missed that message too. Are you the Christ? Are you the one we've been waiting for? I mean, we're all just hanging. We're just suffering. We're just, you see, we don't live that kind of life. And especially now as Christians who have the benefit of the Messiah, we wouldn't have a real feel for the kind of desperate gnawing in your gut waiting for this superhero of God, whoever he is, to show, and when he will show up, just that waiting, that longing. But that's the way the Jewish people were. And there were times, we were, it's recorded in the Gospels, when the Pharisees said to Jesus, how long are you going to keep us in this suspense? Tell us right here, right now, whether or not you're the Christ. And Jesus' answer was, well, I've told you already and you didn't listen. So if I tell you again, you're not going to believe me now. So, you know, he didn't. So, but he said repeatedly. And let's read some of the, ver the verses that are uh, in your bulletin that we put under this statement about Jesus. I'm going to read them to you. Matthew 16, 13 through 17 says this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples... Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, the Son of Man is him, and they know that. And they said, some say John the Baptist, because John the Baptist had already been killed, and there was some kind of theological thinking that John the Baptist might come back from the dead and be Jesus. Some thought that. Others think you're Elijah, because there's some prophecies about Elijah coming back in the Old Testament before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And, or maybe Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the what? The Christ. The Son of the living God. You are the Christ. You know, i got to back up here a little. Most people, when they hear Jesus Christ, think that Christ is his second name. Right? Like Steve Deal. That it's not his name. It's a title. 
Jesus the Christ. Now, most of the New Testament writers just say Jesus Christ, but we need to train ourselves to think it's not his name, it's his title, like Lord Jesus. And sometimes they would reverse the order and say Christ Jesus, Jesus who is the Christ. Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Acts 22, and I'm going to read a little more extended. This is the first sermon that uh, is recorded, given to the Jewish people on Pentecost about Jesus the Christ. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David, that is King David, writer of Psalms, and this is out of Psalms, says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart will be glad and my tongue exult. Moreover, my flesh will also live in hope because you will not allow my soul you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness in your presence. And at the end of the sermon, he says this, the last verse, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, this Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This is it, guys. Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. And the Jewish people had to make a decision. Is this the guy, our hero from God, or should we wait and look for someone else? And the early preaching of the apostles was to Jewish people trying to convince them that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. 1 John 5.1 says it this way, For whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. John 20 says this, Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. They often connected the, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. There was this growing awareness that the Christ was not merely a human being, that this superhero coming and sent from God was none other than God himself. Now, again, I read that, and not being Jewish people and living before the time of Christ and not knowing Christ, that really doesn't generate a whole lot of emotional enthusiasm and excitement, right? Gee, that's nice. That's nice for them. Okay. And again, that's because we're Gentiles and we've already benefited from Jesus. But we need to think back to what is going on so that we can better understand what the writers of the Bible are saying to us. I think, I think, I believe strongly 
that all too often when we read somebody else's mail, we think it's directly written to us. And we take and sometimes apply to us in the Bible things that may or may not supposed to be to us. That's a poorly constructed sentence, but that's okay. For example, we often talk about, we in the church, about being under the Ten Commandments. You know what? If you're not a Jew, you and I have never been under the Ten Commandments. We have never been under the law because we're not Jews. The law of Moses came from God through Moses, not to the world, but to who? To Israel, to the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And if they're not one of your ancestors, you, it doesn't apply to you. Now, that doesn't mean you can't benefit from reading it. It doesn't mean that you can't benefit, especially when we're talking about the moral, ethical side of the law and how the law is supposed to direct us into a life of love. Yeah, learn from that. But when the law says, I want you to build a tabernacle and an altar and take the tribe of Levi and make them your priests and have them wear certain clothes and I want you to come to this tabernacle on certain times of the year and bring an animal and slaughter it, that was never intended for you and me. And a lot of other things like that. Because we're not Jews. Matter of fact, here's Paul's description of you and me, except for Eric and Maria. <laughs> now, I'm going to start with something that does apply to Eric and Maria for all of us, just so we have the context. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, because without Christ Jesus... We wouldn't be created in God's work. We wouldn't be God's workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so called circumcision. He's saying you're being called uncircumcision by the Jewish people who are circumcised physically. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. There's five things he says here. Separated from Christ. You were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. Now listen to this. Having no hope and without God in the world. That's us, Gentiles. You see, when God made his special covenant relationship with the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that special relationship meant if you weren't a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you weren't a part of that special relationship. You weren't an heir to all the promises, to the kingdom. Everything that God was promising to Israel, we would go, oh, well, I might want some of that. And now, God didn't say, God did not say, no, you're excluded. But the Jewish people came to say, no, this is for us and us alone. But the promises were specifically for the Jewish people. We were separate from Christ. We were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. We were strangers to the covenants of promise. And I think this was the one that really pierces me the most. Having no hope. And without God in the world. 
You're not a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? You're out. The early church struggled with these concepts. Many of those early Jews, the first Christian Jews, earnestly believed the Messiah was for them and them alone. And the book of Acts tells us about the wrestling of the Spirit with the church leaders and with the church and with, with those who Paul would call the Judaizers, the people who said they, the Jews who said they were Christians, but then when the Gentiles started to believe in Jesus, they said, okay, that's nice that you believe in Jesus, but you're not one of the chosen people of God unless you get circumcised, unless you become a Jew, unless you follow the law of Moses. And, and there, was the, there was unto death and blood, and this is why Paul was arrested and then years later stood trial before Caesar himself because they wanted Paul dead. Anyone who would dare go to non-Jewish people and tell them that they could be right with God, well, that didn't sit well with the Jewish, a lot of the Jewish leaders. Pardon? It's still true today. Michael and I were driving in today and talking about this a little. He says, Dad, isn't it amazing when you think about the world that the Jewish people still, among maybe every race in the world, gets the most negative emotion and focus. I mean, it's such a small group of people. I mean, you can almost say, who cares? And yet they're in world news every day, day after day, all the time, that what's, the, what's up with the Jewish people? It's because they have a special place in God's plan. And unfortunately, because they have not become the majority of them Christians and do not have the Spirit of God living inside them and are not living the life of love, they take their special relationship with God and say, I'm special, you're not, na 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 na, and you can't kick me off my ground or do anything because my God's just going to kick your... Oh, never mind. And... <laughs> And they arrogantly sometimes flout their special covenant relationship with God, which makes all of the non-Jews people go, well, we can fix that. We're just going to crush you and get rid of you. And the world has been trying to get rid of them forever. Paul goes on to say this, but now. That was then, before Jesus came. But now, in Christ Jesus... You Gentiles who formerly were far off have been brought near, near to who? Near to God. You who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, Jesus the Christ, is our Jewish, our peace who made both groups, Jews and Gentiles, into one. Not two groups, one group. And he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall, the wall that divided Jews from Gentiles, which is the law, the commandments that God gave not to the Gentiles, just gave them to the Jews. And he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh, that is through his death, the enmity, the battle, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself, that is in Jesus, he might make the two, Jews and Gentiles, into one new man 
thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it, that is the cross, having put to death the warfare, the enmity between the two groups. And he came and he came and preached peace to you who were far away, you Gentiles who were far away, and to those who were near the Jewish people. For through Jesus we both, Jews and Gentiles, have our access in one spirit to the Father. So that, and see, this should be such good, we should praise God for this. We should, this should move us somehow. What I'm about to read here. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You're no longer strangers and aliens. You're not outside of the covenant of God. You're not outside of the promises of God. You're not outside of the blessings of God. All of the good things that God had promised to the nation of Israel, guess what? you get to be included in them, not because you're blood descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but because we are believers in Jesus, who is the Christ, who through his body died for the sins of the whole world and reconciled the two groups, bringing them into one, thus establishing peace. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and you are of God's, he's even getting more intimate now, you are of God's household, and you have been built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets. You Gentiles, to whom the prophets were not sent, you're actually built upon the word and the message and the life of the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, and now he's using another analogy that the people of God are like a building, like a holy temple being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you Gentiles also are being built together along with the Jewish believers into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. In another place in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says this, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. And by referring to this, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by his, or to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit." Paul refers, uh, refers to this mystery in a couple of his books. What's the mystery of the gospel? It's that the Gentiles, through faith in Jesus Christ, get to be a part of God's chosen people, his family. That's the mystery that wasn't fully clear in the Old Testament that is now fully clear in the New Testament. He says it to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. 
Galatians 3.26, he says it this way, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized, not with water, but spiritually into Christ, you've clothed yourselves with Christ. You're covered with Christ. There is an aura of Christ all around you. There, and for this reason, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And the word one there might better be translated, you're all the same in Jesus. Nobody can say, I'm a Jew and I have a closer relationship to God. The mystery of the gospel is everyone who has faith in Jesus Christ is equally close to God. Well, I'm closer to God because I'm a slave master rather than a slave. And God would say, no, in Christ Jesus, you're all the same. The slave master is not closer to God than the slave himself. That's how they thought in their day. And now, ladies, you really need to rejoice in this one. And if anyone ever says that a man is closer to God than a woman, Paul says, uh-uh, don't believe that. Because when a woman believes in Jesus Christ, she is as close to God as a man can be. Amen? Amen. For you're all the same in Christ Jesus. The Jewish Messiah, the hero, the anointed one, the Christ who was promised to the Jewish people, and God alludes to this in the Old Testament, is really the superhero not only for the Jewish people, but for the whole of the human race. Which is why God said to Abraham, through your descendants, I will bless the whole world. You know, I find, I don't know about you, but I find a great deal of comfort, of security, of some kind of satisfaction of validation when I meditate on this message that Jesus is the Christ. First for the Jew, as Paul says in the Romans, and then for everyone else. That I am no longer a stranger, an alien. That I am no longer excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. That I am no longer stranger to the covenants of promise. That I actually have hope for my future because of Jesus Christ and that I can know God. And that's for every human being on the face of the planet. Amen? Every human being on the face of the planet is included in this mystery of the gospel, this open love of God, this unconditional love of God who says, come to me, any and all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Your religion that you have built, even if it's in the guise of Christianity, that burdens you and oppresses you and makes you a slave, can be thrown away if you will believe that Jesus and he alone is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Completely unique, and there is no other. So we put our faith in him, we put our trust in him, we exalt him, we share him with others because he is the superhero that every human being needs and longs for. And he doesn't wear tights. 
So let's pray, shall we? And let's thank God for this, this God who includes everyone, whose love is not limited by bloodlines and race or gender or anything like that. Father, Father God, Father creator of the universe, you are the father of all people at all times, everywhere. And your heart longs for each and every man, woman, and child who has ever or will ever live. We are all special to you and we thank you for that. And Lord, it was even true when you set up that special relationship with the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that your love was for all people. But you were painting a picture, Lord, and we appreciate that. That there is a special relationship that we can have with you when we turn to you and believe in Jesus, the Son of the living God. And Lord, it is a thrill to know and guard us from ever thinking that we are somehow more special than other people. That we deserve your love. That we deserve to have our sins paid for. That we deserve to have the Christ, the Messiah, be our Savior. Lord, you have given him to us as a free gift out of your grace and mercy. Lord, may that awareness, may that conviction in us drive us to share Jesus with other people. Lord, I want to say that again. May that awareness, may that conviction drive us to share Jesus with other people, being equally convinced that just as we need Jesus, so do they. And just as you love us, you love them. And just as we have been freed from sins, they can be freed from sin. And may this church, Walnut Creek Friends, Lord, adequately live that out in everything we say and do. To the praise of your glory, in Jesus the Christ's name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Last song.